hear my words and bear witness to my vow. Night gathers and now my watch begins. Beware, spoiler phobes. You have stumbled upon a storm of spoilers, a podcast about HBO's Game of Thrones series in conjunction with the Song of Ice and Fire books by George R.R. Martin. It is rethrone season as we re-watch the six previous ten episode seasons of Game of Thrones in preparation for season seven hitting HBO this July. It's highly recommended you catch up with the show as we go along, and our local book experts will also be cherry-picking literary and adaptation nuggets as we march towards a new, spoilable season of Game of Thrones. The Realm. Do you know what the Realm is? It's the thousand blades of Aegon's enemies. A story we agreed to tell each other over and over till we forget that it's a lie. But what do we have left? Gaping pit waiting to swallow us all. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. Hello and welcome to A Storm of Spoilers. My name is Dave Gonzalez and I have not read any of the books in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series. My name is Ren Robinson and I've read every book in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series. And I'm Neil Miller, and I've read all of the books in George R. Hey. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire series. <laughs> all of them ever? <laughs> Just all the books. Okay. He's green seen. Uh, green, I'm a green reader. Green yes. reader. Which means my carbon footprint is low when I read. Yeah, he's everything's on a Kindle and everything's from the future. Then it also doesn't take up cloud space. Unimportant. Hey guys, we're here to make light of one of the most depressing seasons of Game of Thrones for our rewatch. <laughs> We've been rethronesing for five weeks, building up to the new season of Game of Thrones that comes to us in July. You could go back, check out our previous more joyous seasons, and then come and dig in with us for season five. We had a comment was left on our fourth season rethrones about why we were so hard on season five, and I replied to say, wait for our season five episode. We will attempt to justify it, which we will after we see if we have any reviews from Joanna Robinson. We do. We have a few reviews. We've got three reviews to um, comply with Dave's um, nonsense rules, and one does not. I'm reading all three. Okay. Yes. This this first one comes from Skeptical Growl, uh, and the, the subject is really four stars, but sure, take an extra five stars. Uh, and then this is what Skeptical Growl decided to do with, with this opportunity. And the rest of you might want to follow suit, but I'm, I'm not going to guarantee I'm going to read the rest of those, those reviews. But anyway, this is what Skeptical Growl wrote. This is my opportunity to take possession of Joanna's voice like Ursula in The Little Mermaid. I can make her say whatever I want. Sansa, Sansa, Sansa. Ollie rules. Kit Harrington and Amelia Clark are amazing actors. Do you know why all the world hates a Lannister? I'm Joanna Robinson, and I endorse these messages. Uh, good show, some awkward pauses, some editing snafus. Uh, this has to do with our ad, ad breaks, which I will talk about in a second. Sometimes they make mistakes, but generally good. They think about what they're going to say before saying it, which isn't necessarily standard in the podcast world. So that was our first review. Second review comes from NW Wright, 1865. What? Question mark? Five stars. 
are there supposed to be ads during those ads during those numerous breaks, or do y'all just have to pee a lot? Uh, this is what I will say to those last reviewers: is that we are aware of the weirdness in our ad breaks, and we are working on it. And hopefully, that will be fixed by the time you are listening to this episode. And be uh, glad that Joanna is addressing this problem because I would just put in more like pauses and silence for for spite. <laughs> but you know, she's nicer than I am. And I do approve of five stars, make Joanna say things, but I guess now it's up to whether or not she wants to read them. I'm just, just don't be profane, but I like five stars, Joanna Puppet. <laughs> five star Joanna Puppet? All right. <laughs> this one's, this one's by Pat Noon and it's, um, eh, two stars. So two stars, no puppet. Okay. Mm. Decent enough podcast. They like to complain about how much better the books are, though. That gets annoying. What shows are these people watching that's better than Thrones? TV and movies? Will always be different from books. Why can people ever understand that? Joanna complains too much about female roles on this show, even though a lot of them are strong characters. Bald Move does a Thrones cast is much better for anyone not wanting to hear complaints over and over again. So Yeah, if, heaven forbid anybody complain about Game of Thrones. If not that would be horrible. If not wanting to hear complaints over and over again uh, is what you want, then you should not listen to this episode and hear me talk about season five. No, I mean, I, I, I do think we're going to try to keep things like, and I co-signed that endorsement of the Bald Move pod- podcast because I like those guys. So uh, anyway, those are our reviews this week. Thank you guys so much as ever for your feedback. I think that's good. Is there anything that you guys have been watching recently that you found better than Game of Thrones season five? Because like New Twin Peaks has been amazing. American Gods wrapped up. Oh, just feel season like you... five? Oh, because... The Leftovers. Like, yeah, The Leftovers. I watched a couple Saul. episodes of Preacher season two today. Those were better. <laughs> better Call Saul. Definitely better. I just think that uh, this is a good season to bring up the fact that we are critical of the show because we love the show. Uh, that's that's going to happen. It's going to happen a lot because uh, this season is a lot of uh, treading, treading water, I guess. Uh and we're going to, of course, check up with Joanna and what they changed from the book. But as I understand it, this is a long period of time that originally George R. R. Martin didn't plan to extend to this period of time. So we're doing a lot of hanging out in weird locales uh, and then a lot of somewhat contrived meetings and almost meetings. Uh, but let's find out from Neil Miller what those highlights of season five are. Yes. Let's talk about what happened in season five. Just the facts here, obviously. Just, just the facts, Jack. Um, also, to answer uh, that other question, I I watched the first four episodes of season six. Those are better than season five. That's true. Um, anyway, on to what happened in season five. Uh, and I think this first one is probably the reason why it all you know went downhill so quickly. Uh, Bran Stark took the season off. Oh, you're saying season five... Suffers. More brand. Yeah, more more brand, please. <laughs> brand just like plugged into that tree, please, all day, every day. Okay. Uh, he did take the season off, but uh, Sansa did talk about him and learn that he was alive, which was an important plot point. Uh, Daenerys Stormborn of House Targaryen. Uh, she struggled to keep order in Marine. She got hissed at by her free slaves. She learns about her brother Rhaegar's singing career. Mourns the loss of Ser Barristan, who died way earlier than he would have uh, than he has in the books uh, she feeds one of the wise masters to her dragons she sees Ser Jorah again she meets Tyrion she banishes Ser Jorah again she opens the fighting pits she agrees to marry his dar 
She gets attacked at the opening of Daznak's pit, is rescued by Drogon, flies away, and then is scooped up by a massive Kalasar. Sansa. Sansa <laughs> had an interesting season five. Uh, she began it by traveling on Baelish Airways. Uh, she refutes the help of Brienne. She finds out that she's to wed Ramsay Bolton. She goes along with that idea. She returns to Winterfell. She visits her Aunt Lyanna in the crypts, which is important plot stuff for later. She has a bonding moment with Miranda, sort of. Uh, she sees Theon. She has dinner with the Boltons. She gets married, yada, 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 jumps off the embankments of Winterfell to escape the clutches of House Bolton. That's the I last the yada, we'll say. Of <laughs> well, I think the yada 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 could also be unsuccessfully tries to plant a candle in a tower. That, that yeah, also she she also struggles. Is that what with they're calling it? Just, uh, um, <laughs> uh, uh, I know. I regret it. I do. Uh, uh, that that joke is dark and full of terror. Uh, it's very bad. We're going to talk about this in a more serious way later. Fun times for sure. Uh, I promise. So. Uh, but first, I must tell you what happened to Tyrion Lannister who arrives in Pentos at the beginning of the season, drinks some wine, throws up, drinks more wine, begins traveling with Varys to Marine, visits a brothel in Volantis, is captured by Ser Jorah, sails through Valyria, is almost killed by stonemen, is captured by slavers, convinces them to seek out a cock merchant, is sold into the fighting pits, meets Daenerys, wins her over with his banter, watches her fly away on a dragon, and then gets left in charge of Marine. So not so bad for the guy who uh, finished last season by murdering uh, both his lover and his father. Arya Stark. Mm-hmm. Hold on, I have to stretch for this one. Arya <laughs> arrives in Bravos, begins her internship at the House of Black and White School of Murder, gets smacked around by the wave, sees the Hall of Faces. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, gets a job selling oysters, ignores her mission and murders Varen Trant gloriously, is punished by Jackin, and becomes blind. So, you know, kind of a wash for Arya. Mm-hmm. Jon Snow, who probably had the busiest season of anyone, uh, he begins the season by teaching Ollie how to fight, which he will come to regret, has an awkward sex talk with Melisandre, kills Mance as an act of mercy, becomes Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, the 998th, Turns down Stannis' offer of legitimization, executes Lord Janus Slint, which was delicious, is told to kill the boy, which unfortunately did not mean kill Ollie, travels to Hardhome, is engulfed in a massive battle against the undead, kills a White Walker with his Valerian steel sword, meets the Night's King, gets back to Castle Black, lets the Wildlings through the gate, learns of Stannis' loss at Winterfell, is murdered for the Watch. Significant deaths. In season five, yeah. include White Rat, the unsullied soldier who died in the first episode, Mance Raider, Janice Slint, Sir Barris and Selmy, R.I.P., Maester Aemon, also R.I.P., the Lord of Bones, who gets killed hilariously, <laughs> a White Walker, everyone's new favorite wildling, Carsey, Shireen Baratheon, Hisdar Zolorak, Selyse Baratheon, Stannis Baratheon, Miranda, Marin Trant, Marcella Baratheon, and allegedly Jon Snow. They are survived by Cersei, who took a very long walk through King's Landing, Jamie, who tries to be a good dad and then still loses another child, Tommen, who's still king, Marjorie, who is in jail now, Lady Olena, the High Sparrow, Ilaria Sand, three sand snakes, the mountain, again, sort of, Varys, most of the people on Team Danny, 
King Balon Greyjoy, Theon, and three even bigger dragons who are probably in their 20s, at least according to Dragon Years. So that is your recap of season five of Game of Thrones. I'm just reminded now, right now, as we talk about it, about like how angry I was at the time that Balon was still alive. I was like, you know, and especially I think, yeah, in the it would be in the penultimate episode when they uh, burn Shireen that we get in the previously on, we get those penis leeches again. And I was just like, gotta kill Bela Greyjoy or else like, uh, you know, Melisandre's whole bragging about like how her, her magic is so strong. is it's not, not panning out. Anyway. Yeah. They really messed up the timeline there, but that's the least of their problems in season five. Yeah. Sorry. It's just like one of the complaints I forgot to write down. So let me just get it out of my system. Bela Greyjoy should die. Okay. <laughs> I have one more question before we go to our first break, which is, are the dragons really in their 20s in Dragon Years? Is that, like, a real thing? I mean, uh, I think you should go to the convention called Con of Thrones that's being held in Nashville, uh, where you could attend a panel where Neil and I will be talking only about dragons. <laughs> All right. by well, then, you... I will have figured out the answer to your question. Okay, good. I'm going to say, because what you're doing is you're telling me you're going to have an answer on that panel, yep. so I will be there. I yep. will say that so far, this is something I made up, but I'm going to look at the science and probably prove it right. Yeah, we're going to find out about Dragon Ears if it kills us. And I'll be the heckler at the back with the Reign of Fire factoids, like, they eat ash! There's one male! And we're back to talk about what we changed from the book, which was our favorite section last week. This week may not be our favorite section, just because it hasn't had the distinct bounds like it's had in the previous episodes. Joanna, just how much has changed from season five from our fifth book? Guys, I did not go deep on this because there's just too much, but I have some highlights. Uh, Brienne never goes to Winterfell to stare at a candleless window for a whole season. Uh, Sansa also never goes to Winterfell. Uh, the reason that they killed Jon Snow is different in the books. Uh, it is for the watch, but uh, it's not because Ollie's a little shit. Uh, in fact, Ollie is not in the books. Uh, two good things: Hardhome is off screen, and the Stoneman stuff is not Jorah. Those are two of my those are my two far and away favorite moments of the season. So those are good adaptive changes that they made. Um, the reasons for Cersei's arrest is much more complicated in the books. They sort of streamlined it down to a uh, good old Lancel. Um, everything in Dorne, pretty much everything in Dorne is different in the books. House Baratheon is still going strong in the books. Um, so Solis, Stannis, Marcella, and Shireen all still living and breathing in the books. And, um, Ed fetches John Block, and it's very important that he do that. That did not happen in the show. Uh, and Tyrion never has, has yet to meet Daenerys Targaryen in the books. Um, the biggest change, though, is, and, and this is like a sort of a huge thing that happened. It, it was sort of, you kind of saw that it was coming in season four, but it's a big thing that happened in, in season five is that all the book stuff with John Connington and fake Aegon, young Griff and fake Aegon Targaryen, or I'm going to call him fake because, you know, in the books, there's a kid who is allegedly a Targaryen and allegedly has a claim to the throne, goes by Aegon Targaryen. And there's a big like question mark. Is he a fake Targaryen? Is he a real Targaryen? The show by cutting him out, I feel like Dan and David were like, Hey George, 
is Aegon Targaryen uh, important to the end game? And George is like, no, he's a fake. We're going to kill him and book whatever. And they're like, cool. We're going to cut him entirely because that's just going to save us some fucking time. So instead you have Jorah, uh, you know, shepherding Tyrion on his way instead of these other characters. And that was just like a huge, that was like one of the early ways in which the show spoiled the books in terms of like, Hey, this is not important. Or I mean, important is relative term, but this is not going to be essential to the end game of the show. Right. So uh, is Tormund the same in the books as he is in the, in the show? Uh, similar, but uh, more awesome in the show. More, more Neil friendly in the show. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely got upgraded for the show, which is yeah. a quality. Quality. Mm-hmm. I'm trying choice. to think. Is there, uh, besides Tormund and John going to Hard Home, are there traveling companions in season five that are actually also traveling companions in the book? Well, they don't go to Hard Home in the book. John is not at Hard Home. Oh, he doesn't go there. Okay, so there's like literally no traveling companions in uh, season Brienne five. And that Pod. Actually- Brienne and Pod, even though they're in a different place, they are traveling companions. And they were super fun uh, in the books. Uh, super fun. Well, they were uh, mostly fun. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, J- Jamie and Braun is the show invention. Um, but Tyrion, Jorah, Sean Varys. Yeah, all those are show inventions because Tyrion is with. Fake Aegon and John yeah. Cunnington and yeah. another uh, little person named Penny. Oh, Penny. And her pig. So glad you were cut, Penny. Sorry. Yeah, so this. there's a lot of stuff that they streamline that actually works out pretty well, but then there's a lot of stuff they added that doesn't. So. But there's stuff that they added that does. So, you know, it's it's a... It's, it's I, a here's, that here's, and taketh away. Yeah, here's what I want to say before we sort of get into everything, which is this. We've been sort of subtweeting this season as like, I do think it is objectively the worst season of Game of Thrones. Um, but that being said, I really do sympathize with Dan and David and like Brian Cogman and Dave Hill and all of them in that they had such a, an easier roadmap before they got here to follow. And when they get here, they're not only in books that I consider subpar. I'm not as harsh on those books as I used to be. They're not bad books, but Feast for Crows and Dance of Dragons are, in my opinion, lesser books. So they're adapting lesser source material, and then they have less source material to adapt because, you know, in some places they're running off the page into the future. And so like the fact that they had a slightly hard time of it, I think, um, and made some stumbles, I'm very sympathetic to that. But that being said, I really think that the major problem overall of all the adapted changes in, in this season, well, one person on Twitter was... Uh, saying that they felt in every case the show took a sort of like the most simplistic um, version of things. Like, it can't just be Arya on a journey of self-discovery in the House of Black and White. It has to be like, the Waif hates Arya, so it's Arya versus the Waif. Or like, you know, do- the door and stuff is much more complicated in the books. Like, all of that sort of stuff gets streamlined and uh, simplified and dumbed down a little bit. But also, I just, I, most of all, I think the tone of season five is wrong. The tone strikes me as, I said this to Neil earlier, maybe to, to Dave, like it strikes me as very nasty, which I know bad things happen in previous seasons, but I didn't feel like previous seasons of Game of Thrones were this nasty. So there's just something very, very dark and like 
just like bitter it feels like about this season versus other seasons where there's just been more highs to balance out the lows I think or or when you do have a tragedy there's a different there's a different tenor to it I don't I don't quite know how to describe it maybe you guys um, either have a different point of view or can articulate it better than, than I can definitely think that's true. I definitely think it's nastier. And I definitely think there was an adjustment period for the showrunners where they were trying to find that sweet spot where George lives and has, you know, lives perfectly in those first like four seasons, three books, essentially that, that perfect spot of being shocking and doing horrible stuff, but also making people want to continue where I feel like they overcorrected a little bit and they just kind of went in on some of the shocking stuff and they misread some things and they couldn't find that sweet spot. And I feel like they got it back a little bit in season six. Like it, but they're this season five is to me, it's the season where, um, you know, I would agree it's the least best season. I don't know if I would say it's like the, well, you know. It, That's it's, what it's least the, best means. You can it's say worse. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's bad every single second. It's right. Just it's not a bad you, season. It's just not the best season of Game of Thrones. I think it might be, a, well, here's what I'll say. Rewatching it alongside one through four makes me feel like it's a bad season. Um, I When I watched it, I didn't feel that way about it. Um, I liked it much more when I first watched it, uh, but comparatively, it just pales very much in comparison to one through four. And um, it's not to say it's the worst season of television, or that it's even like a terrible season of television. But I think it might be a bad season of television. Um, Dave, what do you think? I definitely think it's a bad season of television but i would say in the same way that uh i don't know every marvel netflix series sort of has bad parts to season of television because there's like a i don't know there's a sag in the middle of this season where everybody has goals like Arya wants to become a faceless man and john wants to get the wildling south of the wall and uh bran and pod want to get to sansa and sansa wants to somehow play Ramses so that she could, you know, eventually be the wardeness of the North. But there's like four or five episodes in the middle where nobody actually makes progress towards those goals. So what we see is we either return to them being horribly crushed or we return to them just restating their goal and how it's been complicated. And there just isn't enough charming pairs outside of maybe Jorah and Tyrion to sustain those two character scenes uh just like there aren't enough wins uh, interspersed throughout the middle of the season to keep me going and then finally you know once hard home comes Jon snow starts winning and keeps winning up until the very last benjamin freak out uh and that's you know kind of joyous but like yeah those middle episodes everyone's just trying to do something and failing horribly and they keep it's like climbing up a muddy hill You could really feel it, especially when you're binging it. Yeah, I I think I kept looking for relief, like, oh, now we're going to cut to a plot that I really enjoy. And, like, other than Tyrion and Jorah, and they're really not together for that many episodes. Like, Remember when we thought Dorne was going to be that thing? Yeah, you know, it just isn't. You're like, oh, I'm in Dorne. Oh, I'm at Winterfell. Oh, I'm here. You know, and, like, I just... I'm not happy about that. And I'm sure that there are people listening going like, Oh, here goes Joanna complaining again. But like, I really do just want to enjoy Game of Thrones. And this season 
the balance, the mix is off, the balance is off. You're right. I think you're right, David, there aren't enough wins. But another thing you can say is that maybe this is just the arc of a longer rise and fall of certain things, right? So we see like sort of the rise of, of the bad people in in the realm, in the Seven Kingdoms and in Essos. We see, um, you know, uh, the Lannisters in charge or uh, the Boltons in charge. You know, like this is the fallout of all, of all the like uh, fall of heroes that we've seen. This is like the reign of villains. And then in season six, we see our heroes back up on the rise again. You know what I mean? So like... I, I guess I could see it. All I'm just saying is, if you binge watch season five in part of this Rethrones catch up, it's a hard, it's a hard rewatch. I think it's a hard rewatch. So yeah, I mean, and and, and it's interesting. Uh, I'm we'll, we'll talk about the Sansa thing more, but uh, later. But you know, that's a perfect example of something where the showrunners, you know, made this adaptation choice. They made the choice to send her to Winterfell, and they were like. It pays off. We promise. We pay. It pays off. It's all part. It's like the middle of her story, and they were right. I don't know if that makes it okay. <laughs> I don't know if that makes it good. Um, but I mean, Sansa does get her comeuppance or delivers her comeuppance yeah. later. So I can see where their thought process was. It just it's a it's a weird space, you know. It's and it, it's a space that George uh, sort of didn't want to play in. Uh, himself, where he really originally wanted like a five year gap, right. and this is all five year gap stuff. So, um, if George didn't even want to do it, and <laughs> you can imagine how difficult that was. And so, you know, it's a tough one. Um, but we oh. should talk about the things that we would do differently. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm gonna go first and say that I would get the wildlings to castle black sooner as a way of just moving uh the plot line of Jon snow up to a way that he gets resurrected at the end of season five so just condense all the castle black stuff at the beginning that way we have some john winning hard home in the middle of the season where i remembered it happening but it didn't happen until the end and that way you know we have something to hang on to because if anybody I was able to hang on to it's Jon Snow who actually figures out what the hell he's doing this season. Uh, but yeah, more of that I think would have balanced out uh, some of Dorne falling flat continuously. Do you think that, Joanna? <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree with that. Um, the I also thought I thought Hard Home was episode six. Um, <laughs> and then it didn't come, and then it didn't come, and I was like, "God damn it!" I don't know why. It's, I it and it's not six. even all of episode eight; it's only I, like the last twenty minutes. I did remember that. I think it's actually thirty minutes. I did remember that that it was it was the entire back half of an episode, and I was like, "I can't wait to get to that entire back half of an episode." And I was like, "I still have many more to go." Um, but yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I mean, we, and not just because then we would have been more correct in our. Um, guesses because we did guess uh, when we were recording Extreme Spoilers that they must resurrect John before the season's over because how could they possibly kill him and then spend an entire offseason lying to us and yet that's what they did mm-hmm. so you know yeah. yeah so um, should I get mine? mine oh is, yeah what, what would you get? my guess every single thing about Dorn. um <laughs> Actually, I, I, I wrote down almost every single one because the production design in Dorne is 
beautiful. Dorn looks amazing, but like, you know, as we found out sort of in some behind the scenes interviews that that was kind of their downfall. Like they filmed in the Alhambra in Spain. They only had like a, a certain amount of time to film. So that's why we get that really, really shitty fight with sand snakes in in the water gardens or wherever it is, because they could only have that exterior for however long. Um, but that being said, there are certain shots like Jamie walking, um, sort of in to see Prince Duran and you get that upshot and the beautiful ceilings, everyone's costumes for the most part, the guy's robes are amazing. The ladies fashion, I could, we could do a little better, I think, but um, nipple armor. No, I mean, nipple armor is really the least of Doran's worries. <laughs> I really, I, I'm fine with nipple armor. If the, like the women wearing them had been anything enjoyable, but alas, even Colleen wing in like, retrospect of me liking her so much in Iron Fist and her two seconds in Star Wars, even her, I was like, nope, even you. I just don't like anything that's happening here. So, <laughs> I think um, Dorn. Yeah. I've, I've obviously cheated ahead and I've watched a couple of episodes of season six. <laughs> but the scene where they murder Tristane in season six is like the best Sand Snake scene by far. Um... Because they're bickering and murdering? Because they're just bickering, and then they just murder him. Um, like, that's the Sand Snakes way to me. But Do you anyway. think it's because Bad Pusey is not there? Uh, maybe. You know, she's around for other... We'll talk about that next week. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mine is uh, two, one small, one big. Um, I also... I mean, I've already mentioned the five-year time jump, but wouldn't that have been bold for them to just do that? I was just going to say that um, earlier. I was like, how cool would it have been if like, season, one, season five started, or even mid- midway through season five, and all of a sudden they're like... Five years five later. Five years later. I mean, it's a, it's tough with kid actors, but still. like Ollie stabbed me in the heart, guys. It was <laughs> real bad. But yeah, that, Stannis died, and Melisandre came, and hey, I'm here now. Let's go get I Winterfell. I feel like they would have... Um had to break their rule about flashbacks. But then again, they did. That was what season four when they did a flashback. That was this. That was season five. Season. Oh yeah. Five. Okay. Starts season five. The, the... So they blo- broke the flashback rule anyway, so they could have done it anyway. My two, uh, the small one is the mountain, AKA Sir Robert strong, which they do not call him that in the show. I've Neil was right. Sir Gregor. Triple, triple checked. Neil, um, Neil is indicated. He was right. Which is, uh, interesting, uh, choice. Um, but in the books, he had way cooler armor. I, that was the thing I was looking forward to at the end of season five when, when it first aired was this, like, That's they hilarious. describe him as like pearl, <laughs> this pearly white armor. And he has this like plume of rainbow feathers coming out of his helmet. And he's just like fully closed off. And it's, and it's mysterious to the people who are in the show who that is. Also, because apparently they send the mountain's uh, skull to Dorn, which they, I mean, they did the Mormont skull. Why can't we do a skull? Anyway. Um, oh, actually, did you catch that they they answer that in the show, sort of? They do? So that they they bring a head of a not Tyrion, and Kyburn t- says he needs it for his experiment. Oh. Like a replacement skull. Yeah, but then that's like definitely Hapfor's like giant head. Yeah, but then we see body. him with his helmet off in season six. Oh, I forgot oh. we do. 
Yeah. Oh, Mr. Well, Mr. Watch Ahead. Mr. Watch Ahead. Well, no, that I haven't watched. I haven't rewatched that part, oh, but I remember that. The North remembers. Art. Listen, I pay a lot of close attention <laughs> oh, I to <don't. laughs> the mountain. Um, also, uh, no Lady Stoneheart, obviously, that hurts all of our hearts. Uh, this would have been a good season with Brienne and Pod. Like instead, they sent Brienne to, to just do nothing all season. Uh, which uh, I get where they wanted to end up with that. Uh, they wanted to end up with her in the service of Sansa to, I, I don't know. I'm just, this Lady Stoneheart thing is always going to bother me. It's always going to be a black eye for Game of Thrones because they if they don't do it, I mean, if they do it now, it's going to be weird. If they don't do it, I'm just going to be mad forever. So They're not going to do it. You're going to be mad forever. But um... Yeah, that's fine. I, I've accepted my fate. I know that some people get annoyed every time I criticize anything that happens in the show, and sometimes I feel bad about it because, you know, there are hard decisions to be made here and there. But I I feel always justified in this Brienne thing because Gwendolyn Christie herself at Comic-Con was like, I spent the entire fucking season looking like she was mad. And so I was like, you know what? If Gwen's mad, I'm mad. Because they, like, they never, they never say when they're upset about things. And she's like, you know what? That fucking sucked. Right, and her Uh-oh. tolerance level is kind of low for when, or kind of high for when she gets mad. Like, she was in a whole Star Wars movie, and the most significant thing was she got thrown in a trash compactor. Um, so, there's that. she had she had shiny armor too. Two significant things. The most significant thing about her in that Star Wars movie was the Vanity Fair photo shoot that she did. You can go to vanityfair.com. <laughs> Free plug. <laughs> Good plug. Anyway, All right, and now it's time on. for. It's time for something that we remember uh, hating upon rewatching, but we actually likes now. Something we hated upon watching, but during the rewatch we actually like. Let's start with Neil this time. Uh, so I was slightly more invested in the Jon Snow stuff. Um, I think that when we watched it the first time around, and I, uh, this is the first, I think the first time, maybe the second time I've revisited season five since it originally aired. When we watched it the first time, we were all con just so uh focused on how are they going to bring john back like how are they going to answer the question that the books didn't answer and will they do it this season and all that stuff surrounding john snow which then ate up the entire off season of the next year i really enjoyed sort of watching that character develop over the course of this season and uh it it's really well done in the books it's pretty well done here. Uh, you know, going from basically this like sort of lost kid who, um, you know, gets tangled up with the wildlings, uh, to being this like leader and this honorable pragmatist who makes these huge decisions about letting the wildlings through that are unparalleled in the history of Westeros. Uh, so I think that works better in hindsight, especially knowing that, um, he's fine now. Uh, so, uh, I, I enjoyed the Jon Snow stuff a little bit more, especially like his conversations with Sam and stuff. Uh, Joanna, your answer might not be as helpful. It's not. And I promise that I tried, but I was sitting there staring at that question and I was running down the list of every single plot line. And I was like, no, I like nothing better than I did when I watched it the first time. <laughs> I like everything worse. So that's, I mean, the two, the basically the two things, oh, you know what? 
No, I have to save that for the polygon section. Um, <laughs> you yeah, didn't even like rugged Sir Jorah sailing with Tyrion. I love that scene, but I loved it the first time. Like oh, the, that's true. You know, the Doom of Illyria scene is amazing. It's so good. I was frightened watching it, and I knew what was going to happen. And then I rewound it, and I watched it again. Like, I just think that part is so good, and Hard Home is amazing. But I loved those things the first time, so I just... I can't think of anything that I like better now. No. Just whelmed with a rewatch. Ugh, sorry. Right, right, right down the center. Thoroughly whelmed. Yep. I had to scrape the bottom of the barrel, too, but I found something. Yeah. I like all the scenes that take place in the cells, the black cells, uh, between the Septa and Marjorie and Cersei, which one's being imprisoned and which one's sort of making fun of the other one. Uh, I think performance-wise, uh, some traditionally very pretty women get to dirty it up and spat at each other and uh, other characters without their their usual King's Landing sheen. So I enjoyed that. Would more you say this time. that their finery has been stripped away? I mean, I think that's a little obvious, but sure, their finery has been stripped away, and you know, revealing their sin that is clouding their good soul in the light of the seven something something. Yeah, I and then wildfire. I will and agree, I especially with um, Natalie Dormer, because her whole everything about Marjorie in like the first couple of seasons is just like be smarmy. Yeah, and, she doesn't simper once in that in yeah. that jail yeah. And then she, you know, really good. Really good stuff. Uh, same thing with Lena Headey. How she shows how Cersei is really broken toward the... Well, she appears broken. Or is she unbound, unbent, unbroken? Um, we'll find out in season Nothing six. in this season is unbroken. <laughs> and then I think Septo Nella is the most likable. The first scene she has with Cersei where she just hits her with a like a ladle a couple of times. You're just like, yeah, you know what? Cersei does deserve to be hit with a ladle a few times. I like Septuagella, man. <laughs> she gets a little weird in season six. Yeah. Season five, Septuagella is prime Septuagella. Yeah, very true. Uh, and we will, of course, be trying to come up with more best things in this doom season after this short probably break where I have to take a pee. Guys, I'm relieved that we're back, literally, uh, for the Georgie Awards. Yep, what? Yep. No? You're not going to... We could workshop it next time. Uh, <laughs> which is going to kick off with best death. Uh, I'm going to go first. Marin Trant gets stabbed in the eyes and then the chest a few times. Then he gets something stuffed into his mouth. And then Arya monologues to him before slitting his throat after revealing herself. It's pretty badass. Uh, they do build to it with him having a sexual fetish for beating young girls. So you're really into it. And we have uh, to watch those girl get, girls get beat. Just great. Well, yeah. that's better than other things we had to, I don't know, actually see here off screen this season. But uh, by the time it gets to beating girls and you see that one doesn't move, you're like, oh, shit, here it comes. So I don't, I don't know. Hey, at least this action, one ends with a win, Marin Trant. I guess. That's right. Yes. And like, fuck Marin Trant. I'm so happy to see him die. I will, I'm with it. Marin Trant. Uh, Joanna. Yes. I love the death of Maester Aemon Targaryen. Um, we talk a lot about like sort of iconic lines from uh, the book that, that wind up missing the show. Like in, in this season, uh, you know, John's line of Ed, fetch me a block. 
It's replaced with Ollie get my sword, which is just not the same at all. Um, <laughs> and uh, but Maester Aemon's dying words are preserved in the show, which is egg. I dreamed I was old, uh, which is just rips my heart out. I love that scene. Um, Sam Gilly and baby Sam and all of that that's going on. And then, and then his funeral and then just everything. I just, I love, I love the death of Maester Aemon Targaryen. So there it is. It's hard. We will, we will not see his like again. Will... It's something that's actually not said during his, it's, I guess it's a, he's a, he's a maester or it's just, I don't know. So the, when the night's watch night, the members of the Night's Watch die. You say where they're from, cool stuff they did in the Night's Watch, and then usually we will not see his like again. But Maester Aemon doesn't get a we will not see his like again. Just the show being weird? Um, I don't know. Um, the He doesn't die at Castle Black in the books. He dies on the mm. ship. That's right, right, Neil? So, like, uh, I, yeah. I don't know if, like, maybe... They were like, oh, we don't know what you do with a maester when he dies. So <laughs> we're just not going to go there. I have no idea. I don't know the answer to your question. Sam I gives a good it. speech, I, though. I will do some research. He Sam does. Is, Sam gives a good speech. But what I really love also is that as Maester Eamon's dying, Gilly's trying to tell Sam to go to bed because he's going to have to speak. She's, he's going to have to speak for Maester Eamon the next day. And Sam's like, no, he might make it. But Gilly, who's like smarter than Sam in nine different ways, he's very smart, but she like she's just fucking lived. She's like, no, go to bed, Sam. You're gonna have to speak for him tomorrow. And uh and, and then he doesn't because other things happen. But like, you know, it's um yeah, all of it. And then even like even that line like you lose and all your friends, Tolly, or like whatever, you know, it's just all <laughs> it's all good. So yeah. Nice. Excellent. Neil. I like that we picked three different kinds of deaths, which is something that Game of Thrones giveth. Uh, Marin Trant, obviously, best murderer. Uh, Maester Aemon <laughs> is one of the few characters who dies of old age. And in fact, he might be the only character on this show who dies of old age. I think Benioff says that he's the only character in the after episode sort of thing. Benioff said... He might be the only character who dies of natural causes. And then I feel like fans later were like, oh, no, actually, so-and-so. Um, but old age is a good call. I mean, they treated it like Baylon that. Baylon Greyjoy dies of gravity. Yeah. Joffrey <laughs> <laughs> um, mine... dies of food poisoning. It's fine. This is fine. <laughs> mine is the... Uh, not necessarily just for the death, but for who executes it. It's It's... Sort of the the death of honor, the death of ultimate payback, which is Stannis, uh, for two reasons. One, it's great to see Brienne finally do something this season. Uh, but two, I just love the way Stannis goes out. Like he goes out fighting, and he goes out like he lets out that just guttural, just sort of yell at the end uh, as he's backing up against the tree, and. Uh, I think that that was, uh, you know, you, you really see that he's done. Like, he's done, and he ends with, go on, do your duty. And Brienne gets to uh, complete her ultimate mission, which is Avenge Renly. So uh, that that was probably one of my favorite wins. Probably one of the season's biggest wins. Like, Marin Trant was one. This is one. 
not a whole lot else yeah. uh, but it's, winning but, going it's, on. But like you, you, like you, <laughs> you know, we were talking earlier about there weren't enough wins to balance out. But like, do those those don't feel like good wins either of those two? Because like, well, they're not. Arya, Arya kills Marin, and it's like it's not what she's supposed to do. She's about to get punished for it, and she's like, yeah, fuck Marin Tramp, but also like. That's not health. That's not a healthy expression of rage that Arya is feeling right there. Like what she does <laughs> is not a healthy thing for that girl, right? And then the same is true for Bri- like, yay, Brienne. But like, we've been following Stannis. Like he did something terrible, many terrible things actually. But like, it's still you're not just like, yes, Brienne got her man. You're like, oh, Stannis. Oh, yeah, they're so. all fair. They're all somewhat bittersweet, especially because yeah. Brienne narrowly misses saving Sansa. Right, but she, well, they also you know, do a good job with Stannis. They do a good job with Stannis, sort of maneuvering how you're supposed to feel about him because he's like underdog, burns his daughter, everything goes to shit, and you kind of feel bad for him when the Red Lady leaves, and then at the end he dies for like his first blood magic sin. So I feel like by the time Stannis was killed by Brienne, I'm like that's the only person that's gonna make me feel good about Stannis dying right now, and so I'm um, I'm on I'm on the side. It's true. And at least, like, Stannis is, you know, I think I, I, I criticize the show sometimes for, like, the uh, the bad things that happen not being tied to people's internal flaws, right? Which is something George is good at, but uh, the show isn't necessarily always good at. But I think with Stannis, it is, like, this is tied very much to, as you say, like, sort of his first majorly egregious thing that he did, killing his brother. And then also, like Neil said, his his last words being, go on, do your duty. Like, that is just such a, like, Stannis. It's the most Stannis. It's so Stannis. It's really, it's very good. <laughs> uh, you know, we talked last season, or, or last week, I think, about some of the meta feelings around the show. And I will remember being annoyed by <laughs> um, all the people who were like, well, we don't see the sword connect with Stannis's neck, so maybe he's oh, still man. like all of that was really annoying. I was like, let's stay focused on the real person who's not dead, which is Jon Snow, and like don't hold out hope for Stannis. Also, Sansa and Theon will be fine. Like there were a lot of cliffhangers at the end of the season, like either sort of intentional or not, that made that off season particularly like just a lot. It was a lot. Yep. That offseason was a lot. Yep. But we had some good, memorable lines from season five that we could repeat as we were waiting for season six. Neil, I like yours because I started my season six rewatch and it ends up being super important and tied to one of my favorite new characters. Hit it up. Uh, yeah, a great piece of foreshadowing. Also, something from the books. Um. <laughs> But uh, the li- the letter that Stannis receives from a certain young lady of the North, she says, Bear Island knows no king, but the king of the North, whose name is Stark, and that is, you know, it, it's, at the time, it felt like a small sort of throwaway thing, almost like a little Easter egg for book readers, but then the show did such wonderful things with Bella Ramsey and Liana Mormont in season six that, uh, you know, it's glad it proves that there was some foresight there. So, uh, I'm a big, big fan of that whole letter situation. It, it almost makes up for them delaying the whole pink letter from Ramsey thing. Cause that was the <laughs> original reason why Jon Snow, he was going to leave and go try to rescue 
who did who does Ramsey say in the books that he has? Is it Rick? Does he say Or he says he has Arya. I think. Oh, right. Yeah, he says he has Arya because they 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 the James Cool thing. Yeah, they say that they're marrying Ramsey to yeah. Arya. Yeah. Um, and so that Jon Snow's going to abandon again right. the Night's Watch, and that's why he gets stabbed. Um, so, at the very least, we got this letter. Not so just abandon, nice. but like, um, wanted to take Night's Watchmen with him. Oh, like right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Nope. Oh, this way is much better. Uh, at least. Uh, I think the, the plot with the Wildling tracks better or maybe it's just sir alistair so convincing whatever he's pissed about I'm, Alist- i believe that that's the reason alistair's great i'm just saying like the other one we could have pulled off without any ollie and that's always preferable to me so <laughs> sure i mean that pays off next season but we'll get there uh joanna what's your most memorable line of season five i i just think it is objectively the most memorable the most off-quoted the most iconic moment of season five, uh, and it's simply this: shame. Ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. They made a whole app out of it. It's pretty great. Um, yeah, what I mean, like, really, there's no other moment of season five that, and maybe no other, like that. Just, it just, it's a moment that keeps on ticking. So there you go. It might have stuck in a lot of people's minds as we become part of the pop culture zeitgeist, but my most memorable line will forever be one, one to the sea, which for some <laughs> reason might be my, like the line I walk out of the entire game of Thrones, uh, outside of chaos is a ladder. Two things I know that are said on game of Thrones, chaos is a ladder and one, one to the sea forever. And I, when I was watching that moment, I was remembering like how you, Dave were so you're like, do giants swim? Like what happens to one of them? He like gets to the boats because he's not getting on those boats. So how does yeah, he does get he back? Like, and like do they what tow happens? Him or... Yes. During the rewatch, I accidentally found myself thinking about that again, and I like had to rewind and rewatch some scenes because I was like, okay, so you take everybody and you get them all to the left side of the boat. Can one one do a pull up onto the deck on the right side of the boat without tipping the boat, or does one one wait to? Oh, oh, I'm right. I'm watching the episode. So the, like the adventures one, of one one start here. I feel like one one swims out to the boats and then swims out for a little while and then like swims back to shore and just sort of like tromps along the shore. You know what I mean? Like wades his way back. I don't know if that tracks map wise. Because we know that the whites can't go into the sea apparently. Well, I think right. like oh yeah. Well, and then also we it's going to be difficult like, if he's wet because he's going to increase in mass. Hmm. I guess we maybe did, he's not on the boats. Did we like really dive into like why the whites stop on the shore? Because I feel the whites stop on the shore sort of like as a way of the Night's King like fucking with John. Because I really do feel like they could have gone in the water if they wanted to. If they can't go into the water, then have we encountered some sort of signs esque solution to our white problem, <laughs> which is just. I mean, I think- Drinking water, yeah. I think they could go in the water, but I do think it is like the Night's King fucking with them because they are killing people in the water as the Night's King right. walks along the right. the thing. I think it's just like nobody goes in front of that line until he... But I, I do feel like if they wanted to, they could like fire Ant together into like a floating nightmare raft and mm. chase everybody. <laughs> a flotilla of dead bodies. Floating yeah. also, nightmare raft. This is hard home is the second time we hear about ice spiders as big as 
bears or whatever. Spiders as big as hounds. Yeah. Hounds. That's it. Th- those those have got to be coming, right? We're just saving up our budget for yeah, I mean, like an in episode. The, in the like... final battle, I, that would be great. If in the like the very final battle in season eight, we get just like one ice spider as big as a hound, you know? Because someone's just like, one. oh, Brand's like, told you. Brand's like, oh, old man, old, ma- old man was right all along. <laughs> the skies part, and there's old man's face, and she winks at everybody. She's like, ice spiders as big as hounds. Yeah. Ice spiders come crashing through the wall. Somebody's like, oh okay. shit, we fucked up. Oh no. Anyway. All right. It's time for the season's MVP, which is tough, uh, or was for me, but you guys picked some good ones. Uh, Joanna, I almost picked yours, but you picked it first. <laughs> um, mine, I could not uh, pick an act. Well, I could have. But I'm going to give it to Miguel Sapochnik, who directed Haradome, which is 30 or so of the best minutes of television I've ever seen in my life. And, like, this is, this is, I, I, I watched Haradome extra closely this time to like really see if I could figure out why it's so good. And there's a lot of different reasons why it stands out. Like, you know, we probably have to give some of the writing credit because um, the introduction of the non Night's Watch characters is like so efficient and so good. And we can give those actors some credit too, something like that. But Miguel Sapochnik and his DP, whoever that might be like shot the action so coherently and also so beautifully like um there will be shots of just like the top of the fence that eventually sort of gets overwhelmed just the top of that rattling you know they'll, they'll, they just took he just took moments to give us like a break from a frenzy of action and then I also, I just find that everything is like coherent John has to get the dragon glass who goes in the hut and he's followed by that other white walker who has got a great design to him. So he's unmissable and like follow you know, like everything that happens in there, what happens to the then, like all of it, it's just, it's so coherent, which is like more than you can say for most Marvel movies. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll rewatch, uh, battle of the bastards, uh, this upcoming week and, and sort of like to look again for the clarity of action. But I, I do think that that's like among other things, one of the, things we can praise Miguel Sapochnik highly for is yeah, just it's all so clear and beautiful. So, um, I have a fun fact because you yes. mentioned, uh, the DP, yes. which is, uh, Fabian Wagner who did hard home and then battle of the bastards and then the winds of winter. So those three, uh, immaculately. So he's, he's Miguel Sapochnik's dude. Yeah. Do you want to know what his next project is? Yes. Justice League. <laughs> Fun facts for Should've everyone. Real clear geography in Justice League. <laughs> uh, so there's hope. I don't think there's hope, but there's hope. You see, Mr. Affleck, in front of you will eventually be a very sheer cliff, and there are bug men. I mean, they have other names, but for your purposes, bug men climbing down. <laughs> You're going to swing and roll and then throw two batarangs. They don't exist, but they will exist into these bugmen who also don't exist, but they will exist. I'm a big fan of all your work. That's why I picture Justice League being like Bugmen. Bugmen. It's just a lot of a lot of tennis balls and sticks. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Just all tennis balls and sticks. Like avatar levels of tennis balls and sticks. Um Neil, who's your MVP for season five? <laughs> 
Uh, I have already sung the praises of his death scene, but I'm going with Stephen Delane, who plays Stannis Baratheon. Uh, one, because, you know, he's sort of a long-running character on this show. You know, it started in season two, uh, survives quite a long time, is a prominent figure who is um, sort of one note for a lot of the first couple seasons. And then we really see Stannis go into decline in season five, which I thought was on a performance level. Excellent. Uh, as an audience member watching him burn his daughter, horrifying. But uh, I did love the way through both makeup and hair and uh, just his performance that you really do see Stannis sort of lose it at the end of the season. And uh, I thought he was great. Um, so I'm, I'm giving him my MVP. Also, the, the Night's Watch uh, scene where he does the fewer thing is pretty great. The grammar Nazi thing. Um, I have to say that um, watching that Shireen burning scene, which really just like, it's just that like once that bad thing happens to Sansa, it feels like the rest of the season is like basically playing out the whole um, everywhere in the world they hurt little girls Cersei thing. Like it's just like, Watch what happens to Sansa, and then Shireen, and then those girls that get beaten by Meryn Tran. Like, it's all just, like... I'm like, can you stop fucking little young women here? Um, anyway, uh, watching that scene, though, I was so distracted in a good way by Stannis' makeup. So, yeah, like, hats off to the person who, like, gave him that gin blossom basically on his face. It looks... He looks rough uh, in that scene. <laughs> he had a rough night to say the least, when he was deciding to burn his daughter at the stake. And I almost, uh, I almost made Liam Cunningham my... Um... Oh, actually, never mind. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> you almost did nothing. Uh, I'm going to pick Drogon as my MVP because I think this is the season where he's most consequential thus far as a singular dragon. And I couldn't really hang on to anything else in terms of being a most valuable player uh, across this entire season, which has a lot of ups and downs for all the characters and creative staff. It so isn't, I feel like Drogon's pretty uh, Dave safe. Hill who created Ollie? I do I do not think it's Dave Hill who created Ollie. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Drogon. They do a lot of things to bring him to life, some really good, some really bad, but as a character of consequence, is smart enough to never go in the tunnels under Marine and instead just show up when he's convenient. And hopefully he keeps doing that. We'll see. I, I imagine if at the end of this show, I won't pick season five as Drogon's best season. But for now, this was Drogon's best season. Uh, why? That might have something to do with our best worst polygons category. Neil. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just saw that Dave and I have similar answers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, um, we all oh, we all have the same answers. We okay. all pretty much have the same answers, but I have a feeling we're picking different scenes. Um, so our polygons is Drogon heavy. So my best is actually the the Drogon, um, the sort of the wounded puppy dog routine he does in the last episode before Daenerys gets picked up. Uh, it, I thought that was extremely well animated. Um, it was compared to what I'm about to say for worst. Uh, they got the scale right of like Daenerys' size versus the CGI dragon size. The interaction was a little bit better. Um, 
So I love that. I also just love that he's like, no, mom, I want to go to sleep. Um, <laughs> the worst is uh, Daenerys riding him uh, out. It's not necessarily the sequence in the pit where he drops in and sprays fire because that's just all really good. It's when she gets on top and is flying away. It's just like, oh, my God, we're in the never ending story now, um, except Drogon looks more fake than Falcor did. So uh, not a big fan of that part. Um, I guess if I were to pick a non-Drogon one that was uh, pretty great, it's basically every uh, dead thing in the Hard Home episode is just beautifully animated. So there's that. For more Drogon goodness, we turn to Joanna Robinson. Okay, so my answer is like almost identical to Neil's, including <laughs> never-ending story jokes. But um, I'll get—I'll try to get a little bit more granular, specific. Like when the puppy dog scene that you mentioned—the like licking the wound, literally licking the wounds scene that Drogon has. Um, there's this thing where he's like sleeping, and his like fin—or I don't know if you want to call him fins. Yeah, twitches like a puppy. Yes, it's so good. It's like, it's a really casual, not casual, but like, it's a, it's a really subtle piece of animation that like, you don't have to have, but it just really helps to bring the character Like it's a life. subconscious movement in right. a CGI He's like character. basically sleeping and then his like, yeah, he twitches like a puppy ear, exactly. Um, I feel like that would be a characteristic someone would bring up on a dragon panel. Like, do there, are there Ridge's ears? I, I feel like that could, that could be important. Um... I just can't wait for you to heckle this panel, Dave. Um, Maidash! There's only one male! <laughs> um, <laughs> the other really good Drogon thing, I think, is the close-up of... I think the close-up of Drogon's mouth in front of Daenerys in the pit. Like, when he is, like, roaring, basically, and she's standing in front of him. I thought that looked really good. I thought some other inside-the-pit stuff did not look as... I didn't like... I was much a fan of it as Neil was. Um... Flying away is, of course, atrocious. And then I guess if I had to pick a non-Drogon thing to say, I'll go with it, the the face-swapping rules of the House in Black and White still make zero sense, but it looks good. <laughs> when Arya's, like, pulling off all those faces. It looks, <laughs> it looks really good. So, Do we think, speaking of face-swapping... I try to pay close attention to the Cersei walk, like, <laughs> from the shoulders up this time. Um, I have a lot to say about that. I think it was better than maybe we gave it credit for the first time. Here's my issue with uh. it. I think it is a little bit better than we gave it credit for. Mostly, like, I think, I think what people were sort of, like, irked about is I think at first the production was sort of trying to not talk about it. Like if you, I I went back and reread like all the interviews and like, you know, they they let the actress who played the body double give EW the James Hibbert interview, but it was late. Like I feel like at first they were like, let's not focus on it, and then when the story just sort of like became big enough, they're like, okay, we have to talk about it. And so like because initially what people were doing was like trying to figure out if that was Lena Headey when like. I mean, it was, it's pretty obvious, I think, to the three of us, but I think there were other people, it was like a whole argument, et cetera, et cetera. My issue with that scene, which I don't think I'll have uh, an, uh, an excuse to talk about later on in this episode, um, 
I, like I said, I reread all the interviews today. I completely understand why Lena Headey did not want to walk around naked in front of all these people that she's known for many years. She's like, I know everyone. I've had children. I'm a really emotional actor. I didn't think I could focus on my performance if I were like focused, like worried about being naked. And like, what's true is when you have the shots of Lena Headey, just like from the neck up and it's actually her, you could tell because the neck is actually different. Um, it's great. Her performance is great. And I don't, I definitely don't think they could have done it without showing all the nudity. So like, but what I object to is them picking a 25 year old actress to play, uh, to body double a woman who's over 40 and has had multiple children, both Lena Headey and Cersei have had multiple children. So to play like a 25 year old, uh, to be played by a 25 year old actress is silly to me. I think that's very silly. And like Lena Headey was very clear. She's like, I did not pick the actress. I did not say it had to be like some hot 20 something year old. So like, you know, this was, uh, you know, I'm going to probably say a Dana David like decision. And I just think it's a, I think it's a bad one. I, hmm. I think it's a bad one to go for like the hot body when you could go for like, and not to say that like in over 40, like Lena Headey, I'm sure looks great with her clothes off, but like, does that make any sense? Like that's that's just a weird sticking point for me in that scene. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I didn't even notice the body this time around. So, uh, oh yeah, I definitely noticed the say. next thing this time around that Joanne is talking about. And then also, I feel like they shot the two like just enough within the hour apart that the sun doesn't always match, and that uh, irked me in a few wide, wider shots. Everything else that you say, completely agree with. It's just, I don't know. It's weird to go for... It's one of those situations like we were talking about with Osha not having any body hair, that it's weird to make that decision because it's so obviously not a story-based decision. That why, you know, why was there not somebody in the room while it was happening voicing opposition and maybe there was and they just lost we'll never know well i, agree with, I think the reason what you said. honestly i think the reason why is that they're like there's one top female producer at on game of thrones but largely there are very few women making decisions on that level behind the camera on game of thrones so uh you know that's why i would say that that decision was made but that i mean that bothers me and like i i was thinking about it i don't i don't like commenting on women's bodies at, at like, like any reason. Like I, I was rewatching some of the season and I was cringing, remembering the, I was cringing, remembering the fact that um, I commented on the, the actress who plays Miranda. Um, oh, the hip I, bone. I said something about her hip bone and I re- like at the time and I really, I was watching, I was like, why did you fucking say that? Like, I really regret doing that. And so like, that's just something that I, I don't like to do. And so I was really debating. I was like, is this, is this discussion of this naked woman's body something I even want to bring up? And I was like, I, I think it is. Like, I just think it's a, it's a weird decision to make. So there you go. Yeah. Well, back to dragons. Yes. <laughs> I think that Drogon's Valeria in the smoke cameo, AKA Tyrion's come to Drogon moment, uh, is, got to be my favorite polygons because it has the benefit of being against gray or and never against anything real and so i think that's the debut of the drogon model that i declared mvp 
and it does really well, and it's magical. The worst is, as everybody's indicated, as soon as Danny gets on Drogon, everything kind of falls to crap. Uh, the model's really good, the comping is still as a bit to go, but they learn each season. Yeah, they kind of figure bit. it out in season six. Like, there's a much better sequence in season six where she's riding Drogon, so... That's true, but there's also a weird sequence with Tyrion where they make some interesting lighting decisions. We'll get there, for sure, at Best Worth Polygon Season 6. But moving on in Season 5 to Most Improved Performance, what was the thing, Joanna, you almost spoiled? Uh, sorry. My answer here is Liam Cunningham, which is not to say that Liam Cunningham as Davos was not amazing in previous seasons, but I think he really steps it up here with his stuff with Stannis, with John, with Shireen, Melisandre, all of it. The Shireen stuff especially, like, um, when Shireen dies, I mean, you feel awful for Shireen, but I think of the surviving people, you feel the most awful for Davos. Um, and that was not the case when his son died in the Battle of Blackwater. So I feel like we really <laughs> stepped up the whole, like, let Davos bond with a child figure. Um, but, like, every interaction he has with Shireen is so touching, and Liam Cunningham just does such a good job of of showing the like the really tender side of this person who's very a very pragmatic person, but um, has has this soft spot for the princess. So, yep, Liam Cunningham makes a little carving for her with his like fingerless hands. Ugh. Who knows how long it takes him to whittle something? <laughs> uh, Neil, your most improved performance of season five. I am going with someone who doesn't last very long in the next season, so this is probably his best season. Another character who um, sort of exists in the background for the most part until really season three, obviously. He has a big moment in season three. Um, but uh, Michael McElhatton, who um, plays Roose Bolton, I thought this was his best season sort of in a subtle way because you know obviously we're focused on how awful ramsey is but there's a lot of good sequences where ramsey is dealing with his father where it's this push pull of Roos trying to teach him things but also trying to keep him in line um and there's this hint that Roos is also super evil but all just more of a pragmatist about it and uh, I really liked his performance. I appreciate Roose Bolton. Um, his son is a piece of shit, but, you know, he he was a lot more fun this year. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, a very special particular type of Game of Thrones fun, I'll give you. Mm. Uh, but Yeah, not, yeah, not like know. haha fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, because he has that whole story like, do you know how I, how, do you know about your mother? Like, that's horrifying, and but it goes both ways. He plays the game as Roos that Ramsey never gets to. Like, he plays the, I am a, you know, a strategist, I am doing these pragmatic things for the betterment of our house, but I'm also terrible. Whereas Ramsey's just terrible all the time. So I think that makes Roos a more interesting character than Ramsey. Obviously... His death is less satisfying, I guess, um, because it, it comes at the hands of his son. But um, I always found him to be a more interesting, sort of slightly layered character among the terrible people. All right. Roose Bolton. Well, 
I can't say mine's much better because I kind of ran out of a most improved performance and just decided that I'd give it to Kit Harrington because I think this is the only season where he's even going to be in the category of most improved performance. I'd agree with uh, that. I think, I, I, like, yeah. well, I think like they learned how to write to him here. And I don't think he's capable of the depths that the latter seasons are going to require of him. And I don't think he spent the first seasons knowing what he was playing. So I think season five hits right. I, basically, everything he does in the hard home sequence rings like an actual character that I would follow, uh, you know, across the wall and break thousands of years of tradition, which is like, I think the only time that Kit Harrington believably plays Jon Snow might be in that sequence. So hats off to Kit Harrington. By the time he gets stabbed, I'm like actually on his side, which I shouldn't have been because he's not always great as Jon Snow. But I, I, season five, I think he was. I completely agree. Cause like even like the action stuff in Hard Home is sort of what I was enthusing over, but you know, the, the detente stuff that they have and the lodge for him and all of that sort of stuff, like everything that he does acting wise, and even just like the looks he gives that look he gives the Nice King is iconic. Oh, I meant to I meant to bring this up in the Polygon section, Dave, but like I sort of put this poll on Twitter of like what the best version of the Night's King is, and most everyone agrees that they like Hardhome the best, and I'm interested about the major changes that they've made for season six. I mean, like I understand why there's big changes between season four and season five Night's King, because season four we mostly get like baby POV Night's King, so they had a lot of wiggle room there. But the fact that they went like such a big leap of um, like such a big change from season five to season six. The only thing I think of with season six is like, they really wanted to make him look like the, I mean, like the actor does out of makeup so that when you Mm -hmm. saw him as a human, like you could draw a line between those two things. But, um, and it seems like there's less CG on his face in season six, like more practical effects and less CG. I could be wrong entirely, but I'm, I'm just curious what you think design-wise of that particular character. It feels like a, po- uh, a polygon question. Yeah. yeah, I like the baby POV one the best. Oh, really? Interesting. I think texture on the cheeks is a mistake. Um, I think the, the actual cheekbone shape and the mouth... Uh, do enough expressive work for you that I think uh, hard home version looks like he's pursing his lips the whole time, which works for come at me, bro hand raising. uh, But I think would be more awkward if he's supposed to be more expressive going along. But like the Knights Kings, like the least expressive of the white walkers see, Oh my God, you could kill me guy that got stabbed by Sam. That guy's so great. But in terms of like, yeah, like feature features of the face, uh, because the Knights King's like never surprised, and because he doesn't have a whole bunch of facial movement, I would take lines off the face. So I think Hardhome is great for what he does, but I wouldn't use that design going forward. Like you said, especially once we see him in the flesh in season six, uh, I think you know making him more human and less. Uh, I think Hardhome is like cat face plus armor equals good somehow but that that was just a solution to cat face it should be our final our final touchdown in my humble white walker opinion well and what's interesting to me is that um what's fun to think about like that if you go to 
HBO.com right now, the photo of the Night's King is the image, like half of his face is the image that they're using for Game of Thrones right now on HBO.com. And isn't it crazy mm-hmm. that the Night's King has not appeared in the books at all? Like, he's such an he's such a looming figure in the show and he's not ever been George has never written him. So I mean I feel like we're pretty fascinating. Yeah. That's that's gonna be one of those things where when I do read the books, I'll never be able to not see shows Night King's face because I doubt he's ever going to be described as specifically as multiple CGI versions I've got to see thus far. Yeah, but yeah I don't know. Uh, the books when I do the books, it's going to be interesting, man. I have a lot of feelings about storytelling with like having the way this. I feel like Game of Thrones is going to boil down with like very clear villains and very clear heroes. I'm not exactly sure how much I could hold on in the middle without those things. But then again, I do like world building a lot. So I could just be like, ooh, this Iron Bank information isn't on the show. There's a lot more financial and religious stuff in the books. You'll like it. I'm into it. See, I would have been like a Brienne and Pod scene where all they do is, you know, like try to explain what Hot Pie told them about making pies to somebody at the inn wherever they were staying. Maybe the old lady who eventually gets skinned just to have her in there twice. Uh, I could fix this season if you just gave me uh, a couple million dollars in okay. two months. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> best character introduction for season five. Not a lot of new characters or not as many in this back half of the season, but we still have some great ones. Let's start with Neil. Um, I am going to, despite the fact that we have uh, given Dorne our seal of disapproval, uh, I'm going to say that Alexander Siddig as Dorne Martell was pretty much what I expected. Um, he's great. Uh, the guy who plays Ario Hota is also great. And the location is fantastic. It basically goes downhill the minute Indira Varma walks up. <laughs> And that's not to say that she's bad in the scene. It's just they didn't. They gave her some pretty rough dialogue, and that whole conversation is just not great. And then the whole Dorn plot just falls off a cliff. But the introduction, I was, I was still with him. I was like, "All right, sweet, Doran, master plan. Where's his daughter?" And then um, they ruined it. So then it didn't happen. Didn't happen. Joanna, I think you have the answer that I thought of in my mind and then realized you had already picked it. Um, I'm going to give it up for Birgit Hjort Sorensen, who plays Carsi, the wildling uh, leader who we meet at Hardhome. She has very little screen time. She is deeply memorable. Also, hats off to the guy who plays it then. Like, if I had to go back in time to that whole like something you didn't like the first time that you liked better or something like that, I will say, this time watching Hardhome, I really appreciate that then. Uh, I quite like him a lot. So everybody hates thens. It's great. Except that one, I like him because he like doesn't like Jon Snow, but then like he's in charge of closing the gate, and then he goes with Jon to get the dragon glass, and then he sacrifices himself basically so that Jon can escape. Uh, so yeah, hats off to then. Hats off to Carsey, uh, Team Hardhome. Oh, and hats off to that ribcage kid. So all of it. <laughs> Ribcage kid. Ribcage kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give my best character introduction to Lala Stokeworth, who has one scene in the entirety of Game of Thrones. 
and is super memorable. <laughs> She's great. I think this, having, is, this is a good choice. That's fucking Jamie Lannister. She has fucking Jamie yeah, Lannister. Yeah, she has... Oh, no, sorry, it's Jamie fucking Lannister. Oh, yeah, Jamie fucking Lannister. <laughs> That's right. She has high hopes for, uh, you know, marrying Bronn, and then Bronn gives her higher hopes and saying that she, he's going to murder her way to owning the castle, and then she sees Jamie, and all her hopes are dashed instantly. She walks out of the series and gets dismissed. But, Lawless, I loved your scene. Come back. <laughs> she can come back to make eyes at Jamie Lannister again. We don't know. <laughs> Yeah, no. That, that she, she's still alive, and Jamie's still alive, and Bron's still alive. We could all we could make this work. Just give Dave Lawless. a couple million dollars. We can make this work. Yeah, no. Stoke worth ascending. <laughs> all right, and now for the Catelyn Stark Memorial Most Iconic Statement Award. This is only the second time we've given it that it's actually been a Memorial Most Ironic Statement Award. I said iconic the first time, but I'm gonna leave it in because editing's a bitch. Most Ironic Statement Award. And let's start with Neil. Uh, mine comes to us from Sansa Stark, who says at one point to Miranda, I am Sansa Stark of Winterfell. This is my home, and you can't frighten me. And um, turns out they can. So uh, it turns out that Ramsay was worse than she expected, and uh, it doesn't end well. Uh, except... I mean, I guess in the eventual it ends well. I don't know. I'm the sense of stuff. Well, yeah. Can't. It's hard to wrap your brain around. We keep saying we're going to talk about it. Is this where we talk about it? I know. I was going to say. I was Do we like, have to talk about it? I was like, yeah, yeah, we haven't talked about it. Um, what a bad choice they made here. Yeah, just not the best choice for sure. Like, I would go with uh, they cornered themselves narratively by choosing that Sansa's going to go to. Because the scene, the wedding night scene, is sort of accurate. It's actually less bad than it was in the books, but it's happening to a completely different character. So, I don't know. I feel bad to say that that's different, that it happened to some sort of nameless girl um, rather than Sansa. But no, like, that I does kind of matter. It does kind of matter that we have an, a, more of an investment in Sansa, it, and then it, it happens. It does. Anyway. Like, if this were the real world, like you know, it doesn't matter who you are. Like, if you get sexually assaulted, that's bad news. It's also bad news in the books. But like the fact that that character, Jane Poole, who's just like kind of a non-entity character for the most part. I mean, it's not great that a that a woman gets raped in order to save the young Greyjoy, but that's sort of what happens. Uh, it's less great if that's a character who's like um, like emotional well-being you're deeply deeply invested in. So, um yeah, it's hard it's hard to say that. It's hard to say that there's like one rape that's better than another, but it's just like it just man, it was just so bad. And um I I don't feel better having seen season 6 about it. So, mm, okay. I still I for me, I still think it's bad. Like the fact that Sans like I'm on record with this. Like, I was not happy with the whole Sansa feeds Ramsay to the dogs thing because that does not, that still does not feel like Sansa to me. So, and that's because this is the show version of Sansa who's different from the book version of Sansa. But it just feels like, like with Arya and Maren Tran, it just doesn't feel like a healthy way forward for this young woman. And uh, I could be wrong, but like, yeah. you know, it just. I mean, I guess that I could see why they did it to merge a couple of plots and to keep all our people sort of orbiting each other. I just feel like once they decided to make 
the Jane Pool Sansa switch. They didn't have to lean into it as much as they did. Uh, as just specifically at the end of Unbound, Unbroken, whatever the worst game, episode of Game of Thrones, Unbound, Unbent, Unbroken. Uh, I feel like uh, I don't know. There's, it's so much worse. Even hearing Sansa describe it to Littlefinger in episode six that I don't think I even needed to be in the room to get the idea of where everybody was going in and coming out of that room, if that makes any sort of sense. Like, I know that you have to do it. I don't know if you have to revel in it and make it the concluding scene of a horrible episode, which is usually where you put your, you know, thrills and chills. And instead, we got a rape while pushing on Alfie Allen trying to act around it. Yeah, just, I don't know. Weird decisions. Weird decisions all around. But uh, because it's felt so weird, yes, Neil, that is a pretty ironic statement. Yeah. Uh, Joanna, what's your most ironic statement award? Well, so one of people's... This this works on a couple levels. Uh, a favorite thing to do last year while we were deciding the fate of our country was to pay, compare certain characters to Game of Thrones characters. And uh, I think the clearest... A uh, connection that people made uh, outside of whatever gender dis- well, no, probably Joffrey to Trump is the clearest, but uh, Bernie Sanders to the High Sparrow was a, was a very popular one. So when you hear the High Sparrow says a life of wealth and privilege has left you blind in one eye, he says this to Lady Elena you are the few, we are the many and when the many stop fearing the few it sort of trails off, but what he's saying is like you know, we, we rise and uh, that's certainly what you know the Sanders dream is not dead, but it is like on, on hold for right now. And um, in, in the context of Game of Thrones, we know that the High Sparrow will be taken down by the few, namely Cersei, Kyburn, and some sparrows and some wildfire. Like she doesn't take much. Cersei doesn't have a big team, but her team is effective and it takes out the many. So the few trump the many in season six. So... Yeah. Really, when it comes mm, to choosing a Trump leader, you yes. should always just choose the woman who knows where the wildfire is buried. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> you mean like in some sort of email server we don't know about? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pick. Uh. <laughs> I'm going to go off the what Joanna was really saying about the show and say, uh, Queen, my quote is, Queen Marjorie adores Sansa. Cersei is the Queen Mother, a title whose importance wanes with each patching day. Cersei will not stay the Queen Mother and completely reject ever having that title. I don't think Cersei ever proudly calls herself the Queen Mother. And, uh, yeah, I think that's also weird. It's because it's like, that is the beginning of Littlefinger making statements that are just blatantly wrong. And for me, it's weird uh, that basically this season Littlefinger is wrong about everything. Yeah, I forgot. And he comes back next season, and it's weird. I forgot that this is like my... I really... The Sansa thing is is a problem on nine different levels, and one of those levels is the fact that it makes Littlefinger look bad at playing the game, right? Because either well, rewatch, there's definitely more nod to that, like he questions Ramsay and says he doesn't know much, but it it doesn't fit with how powerful the character was last season. For well, sure. he just doesn't says he doesn't know much, but if he doesn't know much, like why would he leave Sansa with such like an unknown player on the board, and why would Littlefinger not have heard of Ram like have heard anything about Ramsay Bolton? Like that's that's crazy given what we know of Littlefinger. So like there are two it feels like there's two options. One is 
Littlefinger's lying and doesn't care about Sansa, but I don't think that's true. He does care about her in, in the like way that she's creepy, a little facsimile of his one true love. And um, or Littlefinger is stupid and got uh, duped by the Boltons, and I don't like that. I Littlefinger, yeah, because even if you even if you take away the emotional, like he was in love with Catelyn stuff. He's still not the kind of character who would leave his most important chess piece yeah. in the hands of an unknown, exactly. let, let alone like a bad person. Just like he doesn't know. So I don't know. It's very. Um... And they give him a whole bunch of bullshit to do in Queen's Landing and they try to make it another like secret like last season. But it just becomes like unclear until he says to Lady Olena specifically what he's been doing in King's Landing. But he has this conversation with Cersei that's so like them circling each other that you don't even get the fact that he hands over his brothel owner until he ends up telling that to the queen of thorns and make exchanging that for uh, and then hands Lancel. over Lancel. but it's crazy like the the conversation with cersei is crazy like it makes no sense to me in terms of like what she's promising and what he wants and all that sort of stuff and it all just well, feels like interesting. An, it all feels like an excuse to just get him away from Winterfell so this bad shit can happen to Sansa. Like it feels like a really, um, you know, to borrow Neil's point of view, it feels like a clumsy chess move on behalf of the showrunners. In fact, on behalf of the writers, like we need this piece gone. How do we get this piece gone? You know, right? I we mean, painted I think ourselves there could have been a corner. A... How do we fix right. it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there could have been a good Winterfell storyline with Littlefinger staying there and being in the same showdown of trying to stop Ramsey because I don't think, you know, he's not like a fighter. He would have to smart his way out of it. But then we lose the Theon thing. I'm just telling you a a few months and a few million dollars. I could just redo all of this. Everybody will end up in the exact same spots, but the story will have been better. That's, that should never be my conclusion at the end of a season of television show. But here, here we are game of Thrones season five. Um, does anybody want to put some whipped cream on the top of this Sunday before we move on? Man, if you don't want to rewatch season five, I don't blame you, dear listener. But go ahead and watch the, the last 30 minutes of Hard Home and watch uh, Sir Jorah and Tyrion uh, go through Valyria. It's, it's beautiful. There's like verse and creepy stone men and then like... Um, Basically, everything with Tyrion and Jorah is, is great. Uh, yeah. So, but you can skip a lot of other things. Yeah. It might be kind of weird that you join season six and Jon Snow's dead, but don't worry, it's not really that important. And they'll explain how he died in season six. So, it's, it's all <laughs> don't good. Don't worry, it doesn't stick. It's fine. <laughs> Speaking of, Neil, what do we have to look forward to? Next week, season six, the last episode of our rethrones. Uh, in which Jon Snow lives. Uh, Hodor, on the other hand, is a slightly different story. So we will explore uh. all of that next week. Um, yes. So last next week is the last week of the rethrones. Just as a reminder, if you haven't been listening along, we the following week will be our live show from Con of Thrones. Uh, we'll be putting that in the feed. And then the week after that is our season seven super spoiler preview, which is going to be all the spoilers that we know. So get excited for that. Uh, cause we know that you guys love production spoilers. Maybe at least people know. 
people who do like production spoilers like knowing what they're getting into. Right. So we're giving you warning right now. This is three weeks of you're warning. You're going to know what you're getting into with the spoiler special. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blindside Dave and Neil right now and say, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force a conversation between the three of us about how we handle spoilers this season, given the massive leak that has happened for season seven. So yeah, we'll have all time. I, if I have my druthers, we might uh, finally bend the knee <laughs> to request <laughs> and have a spoiler section. Dave is not happy about it, but we'll see. Um, I'm just saying it's a it's it's a it's a work in progress. We shall discuss this over drinks in Nashville for sure. That's going to be the whole podcast. Is like there's going to be a side podcast of that argument. Whatever we do on stage. And then whatever the spoiler special ends up being, because I'm telling you, it's about execution. And if we had just gone last year and said what we thought was going to happen, we would have been completely wrong. We would have had a podcast that we could go back and laugh about and, you know, have, have tons of fun with. Because la- leaks, leaks happen all the time. You don't know. It's execution. Right, right, yes, right. Dave's right. Everyone, Let's everyone's ready talk for about this where we side episode it. now, where we argue about this. <laughs> it's gonna be great. Or should we do uh, a side episode where we argue about Disney songs again? Okay, no. All right. <laughs> Just everything, you guys. I I learned how to record clandestine live audio at David Ehrlich's wedding. It was a great. Thing. Wait, wait, wait. Is, um, is Nashville like a two party? Like, I need to know the rules. If you're gonna be like bugged in Nashville, I need to know. I mean, it depends on the rules on whether or not you need to know, I think, is how that sentence goes. Uh, until then, <laughs> Joanna, where can people find more of your work on the internet? That's creepy. You can find me at manyfair.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. We just wrapped up our American Gods miniseries on the Storm Spoilers feed. We'll be doing one final Better Call Saul episode on the Gen Pop feed. And uh, you can hear me talk about Twin Peaks and Jade Who Gives Two Rides uh, over on Peaks TV podcast. Mm-hmm. Mr. Neil Miller. Uh, you can get me over at filmschoolrejects.com and uh, also listen to my voice this week, maybe talking Transformers on the One Perfect Pod network. And uh, don't forget to follow the show. At Storm of Spoilers, and if you have any questions, comments, uh, if you want to further try and convince Joanna to do a preacher show like they did American Gods, you can email stormofspoilers at gmail.com. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. That's where I have opinions about things. Uh, you can also find the rest of the podcast episodes of fightinginthewarroom.com along with some other great audio content that I don't have to sell to you. It's just great and you'll find it. Uh, and until next season, uh, I don't know, stay away from Winterfell. of us has a purpose. 
we are destined to do something meaningful, not only to support our loved ones, but to positively impact our communities throughout the country. What do you think a private Christian education looks like? Grand Canyon University offers over 175 high-quality online programs across nine colleges. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.